0: announcement before we get started some of you asked about receiving the PowerPoints they are a little large in size to email to you so here's what uh, Christina and I have agreed on that will work best I'm going to take each slide and and copy and paste it into a document without the pictures so that it won't be as large and she will email all those notes to you so, if, uh, if you don't want them, should I tell them that, or will you just send them out? She'll just send them out. So, I'm so glad to be here this morning. <laughs> I, let, me, let me just, as I get started, let me just tell you a little, a little add-on to the initial story I started with yesterday, because I didn't really give you all of it. You know, I... <laughs> For those of you who are in transition, I just want you to know, it probably took me a good two years before I found my new normal. So I really want you to know that when you are processing some grief and some loss and there is transition in your life, you do come to a place of a new normal. But it does take time. And for my husband and I, what that looked like was as we as we transitioned, we didn't find our niche back in any one church we found our niche in more of a, a parallel coming alongside ministry because we saw a need in our community for for a youth work there there was no one church large enough to hire a youth pastor so we became the youth pastor for the whole community and we started a, a youth center where the kids kind of came to, to us. And and so that was a joy in, in ministry, but it did take us a while to get to that. And then we transitioned into what we're doing now, which is more of just a, a traveling ministry. We speak at conferences, churches, retreats, camps, that that sort of thing. And again, God has helped us to find a place a service of joy I, I do want you to know I did not ask God to let me become a speaker <laughs> it was you know I originally we, I, we wrote a book early on please don't send me to Africa do you remember that that little song and and that was me I remember in college a good friend saying to me okay, one day you are probably going to end up on the mission field. And I said, oh, no, God loves me way too much. He would never send me to Africa. And yet I discovered God loved me way too much to not let me go to Africa as a missionary. So again, I did not ask to be a speaker. You probably won't believe this, but I am an introvert, highly introverted. On the Myers-Briggs personality test, I score like in the 90th percentile. And I am an internal processor. I have learned how to live in an extroverted world. I have learned how to come and do this. And when I leave you, I will go home, and I will shut my doors, and I will put on my pajamas, and I will sit on my couch for weeks. And that's really nice, because my office is at home, and I don't have to get out of my pajamas to work in my office. And it, it's near my couch, because it's just a little, a little corner. But I tell you that, because as part of this introduction, yesterday, we, I left you hanging. And, and beca- because of what I just told you, that those insecurities that kind of rise up in me and the enemy who threatens to steal my joy before every speaking engagement did so with this retreat as well. And I always go to the word and seek just kind of a word from God before every retreat to just settle those insecurities and to assure me that I am doing what he has called me to do. And I am his woman for the task right now. So the verse that the Lord gave me is re- was really kind of an odd verse, but it just leapt off the page to me. I-, I started reading in Psalm 18, and I got to verse 29, and David says this, and it became my theme or my prayer, and I have quoted it to myself over and over with God's help I can advance now there's a little more to the verse because he's talking about going to war well in a sense I'm going to war but with God's help I can advance with my God I can scale a wall that was my verse I I just kept saying I can advance I can do I can put one foot in front of the other I can do exactly what God has called me to do he will help me to scale the wall this retreat being the wall. And so, so yesterday, I feel like we got halfway up the wall, and I am hanging to the top with my feet dangling, and I have got to finish what we did yesterday because we didn't get that far. And it's okay that we stopped because I was done, and, and you were done. And Lori reminded me of something this morning that I have forgotten, and I shouldn't have forgotten, When we are on the field and language is a barrier, and and I do this when I go other countries to speak. We, We speak often in Cuba and South America, South Africa, different places. So when I typically speak in other places, I scale way back because I say a sentence and I wait because it's translated in one, maybe two different languages. You are fresh off the field you are used to the people who are speaking, stopping, giving you a pause. You get to assimilate while it's being translated. But yesterday, you didn't get a chance to assimilate as we went through slide by slide by slide. So for the sake of our visitors who are here in the room with us, yesterday we defined joy. We looked at a definition that I came up with that was totally based on a who, a history, and then a mission when when we find true joy, our hearts are settled, our, our minds are uncluttered, and we are able to go about uh, serving God with a joy because He has called us to mission. We looked at some myths that I I recognized I believed. I would never have thought that I had believed those myths, particularly the one about Jesus being not just a a man of sorrows, but also a man of of joys. Joy, one of the things I didn't tell you yesterday was in my research, that picture that I put up on the wall yesterday. As I was researching on the Internet, you can find so many things. I discovered that sometime in the 1950s, Hugh Hefner had actually put that picture in Playboy magazine along with an article. And do you know why? He just could not fathom that Jesus was a man of joy. It wasn't in his mind, as he looked at believers, it wasn't in his mind what he perceived Jesus to be. He thought of him as a man of sorrows. And I found that interesting. So we dispelled some myths yesterday. But we also discovered that one of my problems as I was looking at joy as a whole and going on this journey was I was looking at joy as my destination. I was going to go on this journey, and I was going to end up at joy. Instead, what I discovered was, no, joy was the journey. It's in the journey of life, but in order to to maintain my spirit of joy, that unsettled mind, that blitheness of spirit that we talked about, or that, un, you know, unclutteredness that sometimes spirals around within us, we have to create space for joy. So I, I quickly sketched out a new map, and we started to explore what that looked like yesterday. And we talked about the still waters of inn, that in that uh, inn... In Psalm 23, the Lord talks about helping us to, uh, t- to be still in His presence and to lead us beside still waters. We talked about how uh, my, my favorite verse of all the verses on joy was Psalm 1611. In His presence is fullness of joy. We need to create space and time to be in His presence. In John 15, Jesus is talking about the vine and the branches. And in 15.4, he says, Unless I am in you and you are in me, you cannot bear fruit. And Galatians 5.22 tells us that the fruit, one of the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. And so we have to be in his presence. It, there is no other way to remain joyful. But joy is so important. Again, Jesus wasn't just a man of sorrows. We have a lost world out there who needs to be spritzed with joy because that is the attractiveness of Jesus splashing over onto a lost world. But not just a lost world. We discovered when we talked about church. We need it from one another. The church isn't mandatory. It's not something we have to do but it is part of a fuel station for joy because when we go, we rub shoulders with one another and where two or more are gathered together in his name, there he is in the midst. So even in church, we're in his presence and we as believers have got to be with other believers in order to have that joy rubbed off on us that, is, that comes from Jesus. So then we talked about moving across the still waters of inn and hitting the island of Sabbath. We talked about it being an invitation, but really a little more than an invitation. It's, God's inviting us in to the sacred when we Sabbath. It is a command. I, I just, I overheard something yesterday, and, and I, I you know, this isn't a slant or slap in the face on any mission organization or in any sending agency, but just this comment was made, you know, it's nowhere in our policy to rest. In our mission policy, there is no, there is no uh, create, created place for a Sabbath. And, and I find that to be really uh, kind of sad. It, it was, it's, it's a huge thing to the Lord. I mean, it's one of the first commandments that we learn to Sabbath, that Sabbath is so important because God created the world in six days and then he rested. He Shabbat. He took an intermission. We all need an intermission. We all need to create space. And sometimes it can be a minute. I have Shabbated in a bathroom because I have needed a place to just... <sighs> so it can happen in a, in a few minutes. Sometimes, because of whatever has happened in our lives and some tragedy or just the amount of go, 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 do, 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 we have had to be a part of, we need more than a minute, we need more than a day. Sometimes, We may need a week. Sometimes we need a weekend. I have actually taken grief sabbaticals. My mom and my dad passed away within a very, very short time of one another. I hardly had a minute to grieve my father before my mother had passed away. And I took a Shabbat, I took a Sabbath a little mini-retreat, in order to process through that grief. We need to create space in our lives to Sabbath well. Whatever you need, I recommend. Last, last uh, May, a friend went with me, and we went on a journaling retreat to Cabo San Lucas. You know what we did? I I never stepped foot in the ocean. I sat and listened to the ocean, but I read, I napped, I was in the Word. But probably a huge percentage of that time, I just wrote in my journal, I needed some time to process. I am a journal. I told you I'm an internal processor. I look at the stuff that's going on in my mind like wild horses, and I need to corral those wild horses. And the way I do it, that is my journal. My journal is the corral. And once I get it on paper, I can make sense of it. It was a wonderful weekend. We separated every morning, went our different ways. At night, we came back together. And before we slept, we shared what what God had revealed to us during that day. It was a wonderful Shabbat. It was a great time. You might just need a minute. You might need An hour. I need an hour daily with the Lord, at least. And I'm not, I'm not saying this to put you on a guilt trip. I'm just saying, I know for me and what I'm doing, I've got to create space for that. I need to Shabbat. I need to rest. But remember, the other thing we learned yesterday was if Sabbath has a golden rule to rest, it also has another golden rule, a second one, to Remember? Now we're going to come back to this. I I told you I used to think that if we spent too much time remembering, it would dangerously draw us into depression. And I'll come back to that a little bit. But I want you to know we have got to remember, we need stones of remembrances, altars of remembrances built in our lives. To help us to recall the faithfulness of God, the greatest gift you can give to your children, and I'll come back to this too, the greatest gift you can give your children or the children in your area of service or anyone you rub shoulders with is to rehearse the faithfulness of God with them. I have a little box divided in small compartments and each box has a rock or maybe two in it. Each rock has a number on it. And the grandkids might say, well, what's this rock? And we pull it out and I tell the story that goes with rock number one. And I might tell them about how when my husband was offered an NBA contract the first time, a a contract that would, uh, he would miss his senior year of college, Instead of signing that contract, a great amount of money back in those days, not what, certainly not in proportion to what it is today, but to us, who we had, our, our salary that year had been $10,000 or maybe a little less. I was the only income earner, and I was a school teacher. Shows you how far we've come in salaries. So <laughs> I can tell them that that little stone is how God showed us that that was not, he made a commitment to finish four years at a Christian university and he turned down an MBA contract to finish his senior year and everyone told him he was crazy, absolutely nuts. They pointed their fingers at him and said, you will never play in the MBA. We will make sure you will never play in the MBA. But God's faithfulness, when well, he went on, finished God's faithfulness brought him another contract when everyone said that was impossible. So I have altars of remembrance of stones that I literally do, but I need those regularly. I, I, I told you how I, I get kind of insecure before speaking engagements. That's another thing I do to come back to the fact that this is, I, I don't need to be insecure. I don't need to quiver in my shoes and have my knees shake every time I get up to speak because God in his faithfulness, has allowed me to speak truth time and time and time and time again, over and over again. And when I go back and remember, well, there was this time, and then God did this, and by grace, he allowed me to see this happen. And by grace, I have done this because that was God working in and through me. When I recall those things, it just strips away whatever it is the enemy is trying to rob me of and replaces it with peace and faith in, in the Lord. I need pastures of remembrance and they're all over Sabbath Island. So that was the, the that was where we kind of left off yesterday when I left off yesterday, I had a picture up there that showed the city of, we were going to talk about the city of salvation. I want to tell you Caleb's story. Caleb is six. In February, Caleb, his dad, his mom, and his little sister, who is also six, she was adopted from China, were coming to stay with us and visit with us his dad had been in our dorm in Kenya. And so we have a close bond, as you know, with those that you have connected with on the mission field. There's just this, in fact, Caleb calls me Nana Peg. He is my dorm grandson. So Caleb and his mom and dad were coming. They had a condo that they were going to stay in. We were going to have lunch together. But on Sunday, they went, Caleb, his dad, uh, I think a grandfather, I don't remember who all, was with them. But they were going to go to the Sand Dunes National Monument here in Colorado. It's February. It's winter in Colorado (laughs) in February. But they were going to go see the Sand Dunes while they were there. Caleb and a couple of other kids had gone off playing. And the other kids had come back to where the adults were. They weren't all together. Somehow, he got turned around, because the sand dunes are vast, and they all look alike. So Caleb got lost in the sand dunes. And at 5 o'clock, his mama sent me a text. Caleb is lost, and we can't find him. Pray that we will be able to find him. At 7, she sent a text back, because by now, it's getting very dark. Do you know anyone that has a helicopter? <laughs> <laughs> well, no. <laughs> Not on my radar. <laughs> Do you know anyone that has a helicopter? And I said, no, but have you called search and rescue? Well, search and, they, and, and they had, search and rescue came. And they were looking for him. They contacted someone that had a helicopter. And the helicopter began to fly around looking for him. At 9, they had still not found him. At 10, they had still not found him. So Caleb's daddy, Danny, asked one of the search and rescue guys, "I, I believe in prayer. And I believe in specific prayer. And so I need you to tell me what is the, mo- you know, the best case scenario that will keep Caleb alive if we don't find him and he is out there through the night. And so the search and rescue fella told Danny the best case scenario is for him to find a bush, climb under it, and go to sleep and not move. So that is how we all began to pray. And this started to go viral uh, all over Facebook. All, you know, the, the missionary connection. I mean, it was everywhere. I did not sleep that night. I was awake all night praying for Caleb, praying that he would find a bush, that he would fall asleep, that he would stay still. He was dressed like this. This was a picture they took because Danny is a, he's an avid picture taker. He was dressed like this, sweatshirt with a hoodie, winter jack, gloves, but he had left his shoes with the adults, so no shoes on his little feet. Well, come 7 in the morning, I got a message from another former missionary kid who lives in Colorado Springs, who let me know, I don't know someone with a helicopter, but I know someone with a personal drone. This young man had his own drone. And he said, "I, if you'll give me their phone numbers, I will let them know I'll send my drone out looking for Caleb. So all through the night, he had not been found. It was supposed to be horribly cold that night. And I don't remember what the predicted temperatures were. But God, in his grace, allowed it to be 15, min, uh, 15 degrees warmer. 8 o'clock in the morning, sheriff's department, a couple of guys are driving down the road, and they spot this little boy out on the freeway, and they pick Caleb up. He has over 50 cactus thorns in each foot. How he made it out there, I don't know. But he heard the traffic, and he walked toward it. He saw the helicopter lights, but he had heard coyotes between him and the helicopter lights. So he was frightened, and instead he curled up under a bush. He took off his warm winter jacket, he had wrapped it around his feet, and he had slept through the night. When I got word from Faith (laughs) that Caleb had been found, First I just wept, I was on my knees thanking the Lord, and then this spirit of rejoicing just took over. I am not a very, what is, expressive, joyful person, like I don't express joy, I'm just not very expressive, let's just say it that way. But when I when I heard Caleb was found, I could not contain my joy. I danced in my family room. I screamed to my husband, he's been found. And then I sat down with the Lord in my journal and my cup of coffee. And I, the deepest sense of conviction came over me. And it was this. Salvation was not meant to be tamed. But I, what I wrote in my journal was, I have tamed salvation in me. I have placed it like a lion in a cage at the zoo. And occasionally I throw meat to that lion. And I feed it just enough to keep it alive. But lions weren't meant to be in zoos, were they? Lions are meant to run through savannas, to drink voraciously from raging rivers, to, to chew and to hunt and to you know, eat of the meat that God provides for them. That is what lions were created to do. But the Lion of Salvation in me, I, had, I, I tamed him. I put a halter on him and a saddle on his back, and I had sat on him. We need to visit the City of Salvation often, ladies, because we start to take our lostness for granted. I remember my lostness. We need to love our lostness. I have hated, hated, hated my lostness (laughs) because I did not like the lost girl I was. I was a wild child. I have a story I'm not proud of. I try to hide my story. Every time I share it, I struggle with sharing it because I feel like I'm digging up an old, yucky, stinky, smelly, dead body that I'm holding up to dangle in front of you and say, well, look, see, this is what I was, but God. Until I learned that from a pastor in California who is long since passed Evie Hill that God's greatest act was not creation, was not Jesus dying on a cross, was not the resurrection. God's greatest act, when God was at his greatest, was when God reached down from heaven, saw Peg Forrest in a pit of her own self-digging, reached down his hand, picked her out, and planted her feet upon the rock. We are not meant to tame our salvation. Ladies, go often to the island of Sabbath, to the city of salvation, because you need to love your lostness, because only then will you appreciate the sweet word of found. And my prayer to you is not only will it become a joy to you, overflowing, but that you will let your salvation roar the way it was meant to be roared. From the city of salvation, we must go to the banquet table of truth. It is so important to spend time in the Word of God for yourself, I love other people's Bible studies, and I do them, and I teach them. I love other people's books, and I read them, and I enjoy them, and I get something out of them, always, but there is nothing that brings me greater joy than when I am in the Word. And I stop at a verse like that one I just gave you in Psalm 1829. With my God, I will advance. With my God, I will scale a wall. And that word comes alive to me. The truth of it digs deep down into my soul. That's when I remember it. I, don't, I walk away from a Beth Moore study, and about five months later, you might say to me, what did you learn in that study? Well, the name of it was breaking free. I can't tell you because she spoon-fed me. She spoon-fed me well, but when I've been in the kitchen, I've prepared it. I enjoy the meal. Our former pastor, who I'm still mad at Southern Gables for stealing, (laughs) those people, (laughs) used to say to me, And to my husband, God has convicted me that I must spend enough time in the kitchen that I can prepare a gourmet feast for Sunday. Now, I'm not expecting gourmet feasts from me to you. I'm not expecting him to prepare gourmet feasts from you either. But you know what? We can sure do a great Thanksgiving dinner. We can sure... Find joy in the discovery of the word for ourselves. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you, you will remember it. And the other thing I guarantee you is that it will fill you up with joy and that God will intentionally cross your path with people who need to hear exactly what he has shown you that morning. He has done it time and time and time again for me. Because the word of the Lord is tested and it is true. It is for all of us. And sometimes we are the only, you've heard this, it's such a, you know, it's just so common. We are the only Bibles that people get the opportunity to see and read. So it must be fresh. It must be meaningful. I know, how many of you have young, 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 young children? Young kids, I've been there. I'm sorry. <laughs> no matter how early you get up, they get up that early too. <laughs> I know it. I, I've i lived it. I've been there. It's hard. <clears throat> I've tried many things. I read the scripture in Psalm 58 about, you know, Or it was in Psalm 59, I think, or Isaiah 59, where God says, you know, if you will get up, you know, I will awaken you each morning and I will instruct you with the word and you will be like a teacher. I I didn't look the verse up this morning, but that's basically what it says in in Peggy's paraphrase. So I tried saying to God, all right. I don't care how early I get up, my kids are there with me, but I need time with you. So if I wake up in the middle of the night, I'm going to take that as a sign that you, uh, you awaken me morning by morning, the verse says. So if you awaken me, I'm going to get up. That's why I'm going to do my quiet time. If there's still enough time left and my kids are still asleep, I'm going back to bed. I tried that and it worked for a long time, but not consistently. And then I didn't want to be legalistic about it, you know, (laughs) set an alarm in the middle of the night or anything. And I was so tired at times, I did not wake up. And I was missing time with the Lord. So I had to find little things. I'm a big fan of three-by-five cards. Wrote out scriptures, put them on cabinet walls, carried them in my pocket. And I would just meditate on those scriptures that seemed to be meaningful. Sometimes I even asked people to write down their favorite verses for me. You know, older women who were sitting on their couch in their pajamas and had time to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Let's go to the next one. The Banquet, the Highlands of Hope. The hope of righteousness. The hope of the righteous brings joy. Proverbs ten twenty eight. Okay, here's the thing about hope. The thing about hope is, we often allow the situations in our life to shrink us, to sh- to shrink. You know, so that our lives seem shrunk to the problem. Or, or we go back to the past. Here's where. Thinking too much and dwelling too much on the past can be a problem. You know, Paul, Paul did say that we weren't to dwell so much on the past that it, it, you know, it kind of canceled out the future. Because when he gave that instruction about forgetting those things that lie behind and pressing forward, his purpose was we still need to look at the there and then. When we're in the now, we are consumed with the now. Life shrinks to the now. And we need to to be able to focus on our heavenly hope. Philippians tells us we eagerly await a Savior from heaven. We eagerly await that Savior. But we shrink it to the now, and we forget there's a there and then. If we can climb to the highlands of hope, we get a better, bigger perspective. But if we let the stuff from the past or in the now just cycle around and around and around and around in our minds, we are stuck like a little whirlwind in one place. So we've got to climb to those highlands of hope so that we don't allow the future from um the past from strangling us and the future from being all it can be does that make sense because what will happen and what can happen in the future is bigger than what happened in the past jesus often talked about the much more of god so if there's a judge and if you go to him consistently and eventually he dispenses justice, Jesus said, how much more will your heavenly father dispense justice? If an earthly father will eventually you know, feed his children, how much more will your heavenly father do? So that's what climbing to the highlands of hope does. It allows us to view the how much more of God. And we need to do that regularly because as we view the fact that we have a future, we really fill up with joy. Let's move on. Uh, The other other thing is uh, in Mark Buchanan's book, The Rest of God, he says this. You know, hope is a practice for eternity. Hope is a dress rehearsal for forever. And, and I loved that. The playgr- playgrounds and parties of pure nothing but fun. Do you expect to see that on Sabbath Island? How many of you grew up, you don't play cards, you don't go to dances, and you certainly don't go to movie theaters? Well, I was definitely going to hell for 18 years because my mom and dad owned a movie theater. <laughs> Playgrounds and parties appear nothing but fun. Mark Buchanan says Christians are missing out on a theology of play. And he goes off into how Jesus exemplifies that for us. And and he talks about how we misunderstand a lot of Jesus' teachings, that they were very, very funny. And Jesus was playful with his disciples Sabbath is also for play because play is about re- rest is about renewal and play for some definitely is renewing, isn't it? So we need to make room for joy. And um, what he reminded me of was in Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, Lucy and Susan watch Aslan die and they are brokenhearted. But then they get the privilege of watching Aslan rise from the dead and and be resurrected. Do you remember what Aslan does? As soon as he sees them, he plays with them. They play a game of chase. He chases them around the rocks and in and out, and he almost lets, lets Lucy catch his tail, and then he's off again. And here's the quote, whether it was more like playing with a thunderstorm or playing with a kitten, Lucy could never make up her mind. Whether it was more like playing with a thunderstorm or playing with a kitten, Lucy could never make up her mind. But those children giggled and laughed and had fun. And when it was done, their joy was renewed. Now, we're not going to finish session two. You've probably already figured that out. <laughs> and that is just fine. I, I took a little more time because I felt like we really needed to expand on this. I was just going to go through them rather quickly. I felt like we needed to take a little more time on it as, as I looked at my notes last night. So I'm giving you a little more than I had planned. But I also, I'm just going to touch base quickly, give you an overview of session two. And I'm going to fudge on session three, but you're never going to know I fudged on it. Because <laughs> you didn't know what I was going to say and what I wasn't. <laughs> na <Na-na-na-na>. na <laughs> Go to the next slide. We have an enemy who does not want us to be fruitful. He does not want joy in our lives. I, I'm sorry, blocking your view, so many of you. John 10.10 tells us the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy, but we have a God of life who wants to give us life more abundant. Steal your joy, kill your... he, He wants to steal your joy. He wants to kill your testimony and murder your Christian beliefs basically is what he wants to do and if he can take that away from you and cu- I can't tell you how many Christians I read an article of a- research that's been done lately of the Dunners you seen anything on that the Dunners those who have been faithful servants of God who have been part of the 20% of the churches who have done all the work and that they are just done and so they leave the church entirely and they are called dunners been there done that done because the enemy the thief has come in and stolen their joy killed their testimony and murdered their beliefs replacing it with doubt dunners we have an enemy we have to be cautious for we need to be on the alert because go ahead to the next slide Peter tells us to be sober, to be on the alert because our adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He will eat away at your joy continuously. And there are in our, the, in our land, there are giants. They, they show up in our Sabbath. I, I'll tell you right now, they show up in Sabbath and they show up in our life's journey. And your two greatest giants are fear and unbelief. They go hand in hand. First Samuel 17, read, read the story of David and Goliath again with this in mind. Goliath is fear. Goliath is unbelief. Jesus said to the, to the disciples when they were in the boat and they were frightened, Why are you so afraid, O you of little faith fear and unbelief our brothers they always show up at the same time they will always try to ruin your life and they will squash your joy as fast as you can blink an eye i have battled with fear most of my life on the mission field i struggled and struggled and struggled with fear my closest friend was murdered by thieves a mile from our home right before a break when all the students left and when my husband left to take the family back to the states for the burial i was left alone with our three kids on the station and fear and unbelief came pounding at my door no they didn't pound they knocked my door down and they walked right in and for 12 days, until I got to the point of desperation, they devoured my joy. Fear and unbelief. But, but God, unbeknownst to me, these, these ways of creating space allowed me to feast at the banquet table of truth until it went from here to here. From here to here. So one of the greatest things you can do in conquering those giants is, let the, is repeat the truth almost like a mantra. And I say that cautiously because I don't mean it in a new age way. But you need to from here to here until it becomes a part of your soul and a part of your life and a part of who you are. And you rise up. Put the word of God in a slingshot that stone of truth in the sling and you whip that baby around until that giant is dead, 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 deed. Cut the head off. And this is where we're going to stop, fear and unbelief. They will ruin your lives if you will let them. And tomorrow we'll talk a little bit more about some, a few little joy robbers. We'll talk about restoring joy. And then we'll end up quickly, quickly, quickly. We'll do it, I promise. (laughs) Thank you, Lord, for this time. I don't know why things... It's just changed, but that happens often with me and you. We do this regularly. I pray you would bless these women, that you would give them takeaways, that you would give them an ability to, um, to use practically what we have talked about, and you would restore their joy in your name. Amen.